Well, good morning, Life Church Utah. It is uh, great to be with you for a, uh, a wonderful Sunday morning. And uh, this week we hit the 70s, right, or something like that, or did they change it? You have a few clapping, yay. For those who work outside, you're like, yes, God is alive. So that's, uh, that is awesome. Um, just, uh, let's see here. I'm trying to think if there's any housekeeping that we need to take care of today. I don't think there is today. Um, but uh, so turn in your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 2. Actually, Galatians chapter 3 is uh, where we're going to be today. We are slowly making our way along in the, uh, the book of Galatians, or more technically, the letter to the, to the region of Galatia. That's uh, probably the technical way to put it. And uh, I, I believe that God has uh, really challenged us in this time, and I have uh, myself, every time as I'm, as I'm reading through and preparing, God is, is really challenging me as well uh, in, this, uh, in this series. And so uh, oftentimes you wonder what goes on inside the mind of a pastor when they are preparing, and like, man, God is just cleaning house within my own life and just saying, all right, Rich, uh, here, you're teaching this. Now let's, let's work together to live this thing out, right? I mean, that's, that's what the, the goal is of all the time whenever we read the word that it impacts us and changes us and allows us to be transformed. And so uh, this has been the case in my life as well. And apologize, we're missing a screen today, had a uh, technical issue. So uh, Galatians chapter five, verse one. We're going to continue reading this all the way through. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We're starting to see this whole, this, uh, this scripture verse begin to play out in what, uh, in the messages and realizing what this yoke of slavery is and going back to old ways of life and going back to those familiar ways of life where we felt like we had it all together, right? Uh, but we realize that there is so much more that needs to happen. So uh, today um, we're going to carry on from last week's message very, very closely Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 is where we ended. I know I told you Galatians 3 that we're going to get there in just a moment. Galatians 2, 20, it'll be up on the screen and online. Uh, This is where we're picking up. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And now the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we uh, talked about this as, as sometimes it can seem overly simple to just say, yes, just live, live Jesus' life in your life. Just do that and everything will work out. Right? I mean, that's, that's really sometimes the message that we get, uh, and it can be very simple, uh, and it's very true. That's exactly, I mean, that's what the Bible says, is what Paul is saying, but how does Paul follow up on this challenge that he's now laid out uh, for the Galatian church? How does he deal with this uh, so that, uh, because they've read the letter up to this point, Uh, right? Because this letter would be a circular letter read to different churches. And so they get to this point and Paul is like, yes, you know, Christ lives in me. It's no longer I who live. And, And so they're in a position of saying, all right, Paul, we are leaning forward now. We are, we're, trying to, we're trying to get this, Paul. Teach us, coach us, tell us what we need to do. We are ready to go. We realize that we've been a little bit timid, perhaps confused by what other people have come into the church and begun teaching, but we are ready to go. So Paul being Paul, does what only Paul can do. And uh, because if it was me at that moment, I would probably put a a very encouraging word uh, right after this moment, because it's like a pretty heavy uh, moment in the letter. He's talking about, you know, Christ lives in me in a very theological moment. And I would lighten it up a little bit. But this is Paul that we're talking about. And remember, Paul is very zealous. He's very jealous for the Lord. He's a strong believer in what's right and wrong. And so this is how he starts this next section. And it really is the start of a new section in the letter. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. 
you foolish Galatians. <laughs> I mean, it's like in this moment, like this downtrodden moment for the, for the church. Who has bewitched you? Anybody don't know if you remember Bewitched, the uh, old TV show? But anyway, okay. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. Man, Paul just goes for the jugular at this moment, and it seems out of place. And when you read this in the context, it's like, Paul, what? there's so many better ways that you could be doing this, Paul. There's so many ways. Just kind of ease into the next area that you need to do that. That would be the way that, remember conflict? I'm not a big fan of conflict, but you have to kind of work through it at times. I would, this shows me. I'm like, just kind of ease into the way you're going to do this, Paul. But the truth is, is that Paul is recognizing the danger of the roots that is in the church when it comes to the Galatians and kind of what had been planted there. And uh, this false teaching had, had taken root in there. And so Paul is just urgent about how he's dealing with this. Uh, in our backyard, uh, if, if you've ever been to our house, in our backyard we have a, uh, we have a basement. And so what's uh, the, the window well, right? So the window well, right next to the window well, we have this plant or tree or bush. I'm not real sure what it is. But it is growing between the dirt and the window well, just right there. And I have, I don't know how many times, we've, we've been in the home now for a year and a half or so. And every couple of weeks during spring and summer and into fall, I have to go and I'm chopping that thing down. I mean, it grows like a weed, but it's not a weed because it's a woody plant. Okay, whatever. Okay, this is, we're getting into horticulture now at this point. But anyway, so this thing is growing there. And I keep chopping it off, and it comes back. What do I need to do? I need to do some incredibly difficult work, and I am I'm building up my resolve. It takes me a little bit to do this, because I know how much work it's going to be to do this. I've got to get in my backyard, and I've got to dig deep, and I've got to get to the roots of this stupid bush, tree, plant, whatever it is, because it's growing in a place that it should not be, and dig that thing up. And I'm not, part of me doesn't want to do it. And it's like, it's easy to just chop it down, right? And if I'm willing to go chop it down over and over again, then let me just leave that thing there. But part of me is, it's, I'm so irked by this. <laughs> and I, I get angry and angry every time I, I, every time I think about this. And so I, I'm resolved to do that this, uh, this year. And when I do, I'm going to bring the root back so you can see it. <laughs> and you can have victory with me over this, Right? So this is what Paul is doing in this moment. He's saying there is a root that has grown into the church that is false teaching, saying that there's got to be more to, to, to receive salvation than faith in Jesus Christ. That has become a root within the church, and Paul is not willing to stand by and just trim it from time to time. Paul is saying we've got to get to the bottom of this. And so he, he does this, um, first by emphasizing the crucifixion of Christ. He says, you know, Christ was crucified in front of your eyes. Now, uh, he wasn't literally crucified in front of their eyes. They're up in the region of Galatia. Jesus had died many years before that in Jerusalem. So we know that he's not talking literally there. What he's basically saying is, through the message that I have preached to you, Jesus was crucified before your eyes. That's really what he's getting at. And uh, one of the things we've got to understand as well, in our world today, crucifixion is uh, not really seen. Uh, we, we don't, that's not the way that, I mean, capital punishment is not, we don't have crucifixion for us. 
in the time of uh, when Paul was writing in Galatia, uh, crucifixions were dime a dozen. They had seen potentially in their lifetime hundreds of criminals crucified. So Paul wasn't describing to them something that they didn't know, nor something, and Paul wasn't trying to tug on their emotions. When, when we talk about crucifixion, it is so far out of the reality for us that it's emotional to us. It's something so different and so brutal, and it's just, you know, somebody hanging on a cross and dying a slow, miserable, painful death so far beyond us. But for the Galatian church, Paul wasn't appealing to emotion. Paul wasn't appealing to something that they didn't know. Paul was saying there's something more to this death than anyone else who's ever died before on a cross. So he's appealing to the work that was done on the cross and going back to it. And so, uh, so Galatians, what gives uh, in this? Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 2 through 5, continuing on. Now, Paul, uh, he's already started with one question, and then he just kind of hits Question, 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 question. Hits that. There's six total questions here, and five we're going to hit right now. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Remember, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? The one thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? This is such an interesting argument that Paul uses, and, and we can miss it pretty simply uh, if we just kind of read, just do a peripheral reading of that and, and uh, just read it for what it is right there. But we can miss something that's actually pretty obvious when we read it. So central to what Paul is asking uh, the church is concerning the Spirit of God. Three times in here, Paul mentions the Spirit. Did you receive the Spirit, the activity of the Spirit, the, the work of the Spirit? All of these things, and in regards to this idea of law versus belief. And as soon as we start to talk about the Spirit of God, we instantly have this, um, this mystery button that, that we push. Because um, we can understand somewhat, uh, I think, God the Father. I mean, the, the idea of, of God, that there is, there's a God and he, we refer to him as Father. And so there's this, there's this relational aspect that we have there. And then we get to, this, to the, the Son, you know, Jesus, who came in the flesh as God, and we, we have the Son and, and came in the flesh. So we can grasp, begin to kind of have an idea there. But as soon as we get to the Spirit, the Spirit is ethereal. The Spirit is, is non-tangible. You can't point to the, to the area where the Spirit is. And, and it's, it's, it's feeling, but it's more than that. It's internal, but it's more. Than, so we, we start to have trouble describing the activity of the Spirit. It's mysterious. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. From the start of the revelation of how God revealed himself to us through the word, at the very beginning, at this initial stage, we see the spirit of God in activity. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What an awesome statement, by the way. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery deeps, the depths, deeps, nice word there, watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering 
over the surface of the waters, and then God said. The first statement, God said, let there be lights. So from this earliest of descriptions, the Spirit is pictured as, as ch- the, the word there for um, uh, hovering over there. There's a lot of different ways to translate that word in order to gain kind of a, uh, uh, an understanding of what it means. So hovering, it's uh, also this picture of um, like a mother hen brooding over his chicks. Uh, you, you've got this idea of care and concern. It's not a disconnected detachment. It's not a flyover kind of thing, but it is this deeply engaged vision of, of the Spirit of God over creation in a sense of expectancy. It's, it's this protection and this heart for what God has created. So, so that's this hovering. It's not disconnected and, and not far off, but it is very intimate is what this is revealing. And in fact, in this initial picture of creation, we actually have the, the primitive view of the Trinity. Now, we're not going to go off onto the Trinity today. There's a whole lot about that. The Trinity is this idea of three in one, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all God, uh, right, fully God in, in themselves. If we can talk about it, it's confusing, it's difficult. And yet in the Bible, this is what's revealed. So you see God over creation, the Spirit uh, over creation, and then the, the word that is spoken. And in the New Testament, we begin to realize that this is the word of God, which is Jesus Christ. And so we have this idea of all three, of three God, but one, (laughs) let me not be confused here, right? God is three in one, but all three of, of God, they're working together in creation. And so throughout the Old Testament, what we have is this activity of the spirit of God working in specific moments Uh, for the people of God to accomplish what God has called them to do. And so the Spirit, uh, as described in the Old Testament, would would come down, if if that's the right way to describe it, would come down upon somebody or a group of individuals, would do the activity that needed to happen during that season, and then would uh, apparently be removed from the individuals or from the group of people. And so the Spirit of God was not permanently active in residing within the people of God back in the Old Testament. Some examples of that in Exodus 31, and I don't have this up on the screen for you, but Exodus 31, uh, the Lord said to Moses in verse 2, See, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, And then it goes on to say for a specific reason, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I've appointed Oholiab, son of Ahissamach, that's a great name, of the tribe of Dan to help him. Also, I've given given ability, meaning given the spirit, uh, to all the skilled workers to make everything that I've commanded you. So this idea that the spirit of God was poured out for a very specific moment in the people of God to accomplish a specific task. And this is one example among many in the Old Testament. We see this happening uh, with, the, uh, with even the prophets, where the Spirit of God is upon them. They give a prophetic utterance, and it seems that it lasts you know, during that season of giving that prophetic utterance. And then there's another moment that the Spirit uh, comes upon them, and they give another prophetic utterance. So this idea uh, that we see over and over and over through the Old Testament. Now, this changes a little bit in the New Testament, In the New Testament, uh, what we see is this 
uh, this idea that what God has, um, has revealed in like Ezekiel and Isaiah and uh, Joel, that the Spirit was going to begin new activity among the people of God. And in uh, John chapter 16, Jesus himself embraces this new reality when he, says, when he says this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, he's talking to the, to the disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. This confuses me. Because I'd like to have Jesus beside me every step of the way, <laughs> telling me what I should do. Right? I mean, that's, that's what I would want, you know, and so the disciples are probably confused in this moment. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, other versions uh, say uh, the advisor, other, you know, there's other versions, the comforter. So we have this idea, the word there is parakletos, right? So that's, that's the word in Greek, parakletos, one who comes alongside of you. That's basically uh, what it is. So the one who comes alongside of you uh, will not come to you unless I go away. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then jumping down to verse 13, when the, uh, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into, uh, into all the truth. So Jesus is recognizing in this moment as the son of God being sent down for, for, this, for this season in reality, and he will, uh, we believe, return, right? It says in, in, uh, in Revelation and through Thessalonians and Daniel that we know that the King of Kings is returning, uh, and hopefully very soon, right? Um, but the spirit of truth will be given to us who will guide us into truth, who will convict us of sin, convict us of righteousness, of judgment, so it's noteworthy to say that Jesus says it's to our advantage that he goes away. Jesus is physical. And that means if, if when he was with the disciples, he was with the disciples and with nobody else. When, when he was at the, uh, at the dinners that we've talked about at various times uh, here, when he was at the dinners with the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes, when Jesus was there, he was there only. He was not having dinner with somebody else at the same time. And so Jesus recognizes that his ability to be with his people was limited as long as he was there physically. And so this is why this promise that we see over in Ezekiel 36, it shows up in, in throughout Isaiah, this promise that's given that the Spirit of God will be put within his people so that then we can follow what God is asking us to do. So we need the Spirit within us. We have to have the Spirit within us if we are to live this life of Jesus Christ. The Spirit within us will convict the world of sin. It reveals sin in our life. You ever had that happen before? <clears throat> You're involved in an activity? <clears throat> Excuse me. Clear my throat without the microphone. That'd be helpful. Uh, when you're doing activity and all of a sudden something's like speaking to you saying, don't do this. Stop doing this. That, to, that is the Spirit of God speaking to us in conviction. The other times the Spirit of God speaks to us in righteousness, basically cheering us on saying, yes, keep doing this. And then I do believe that the Spirit of God gives us wisdom when it comes to judgment, brings clarity of justice in the world around us. So in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit is poured out uniquely for the very first time in all of history. This is just beautiful. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. 
When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, about 120 people, they were all gathered together in one place. Speaks of unity. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is a a unique, never-before moment for the people of God to be filled with the Spirit permanently. (laughs) Not just for a moment to accomplish a task, but through belief enters our lives and begins to inform us from the inside, not from the outside. From this point, the Spirit of God is now permanently active in the lives of believers. We see miracles and boldness, confidence, strength under pressure, guiding believers in their everyday experiences with God, securing their faith. Now, we can get hung up on the aspect uh, we can get hung up on the aspect of, of the tongues, right? That, that becomes one of those things that uh, we, are Pente- we are a Pentecostal denomination, the Assemblies of God. We believe in the baptism of the Spirit of God. We believe in speaking in tongues. It should be a, a natural part of what we can get hung up on that and go, well, that, that right there is too much for me, so therefore I'm going to dis, uh, dismiss all of it. But here's what I want to challenge you with. In that moment when they were filled with the Spirit was absolutely life-changing for them. Every one of those disciples that were there, those who were followers, they formed the core of what God was going to do through the filling of the Spirit. It informed the way that they lived their life. It informed the way that they interacted with one another. It informed the way that they interacted with the world around them and that boldness that they had confronted the injustice. The boldness that they had began to confront the way that the world thought versus the way that God thought, and it transformed a culture and a society, and and even somewhere else in the book of Acts it says that they turned the world upside down. And I believe it all started at this point. So this is what Paul is confronting in the Galatian church. When the message was given to them as believers... Right, or when when it was given to them as sinners far away from God and they became believers, nobody told them that there was a law of Moses. Nobody told them that they had to be circumcised. Nobody told them that, that anything else mattered except for, as Paul says here, except for belief in the message as it was preached. And that message was the gospel of Jesus Christ who died for sins to set people free. And so he says, who's bewitched you, Galatians? These other people who've come into you have come after the fact and said, no, 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 no. But what you thought was the Spirit of God really wasn't because you're not really saved yet because you haven't followed through on X, Y, Z in order to prove that you are saved. And Paul's like, no. That is a bewitching teaching. That is a wrong teaching because Paul says, when did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit by doing X, Y, Z? No, you received the Spirit when you believed that Jesus died for your sins. Because Paul says, how else are you going to live the life of Christ? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. How are you going to do that? You're going to do it by doing X, Y, Z? No, you do it by belief in Jesus Christ. 
And so I love it that he goes back to that and he hits the Galatian church, this root that is in there that somehow they are not enough. Somehow that belief is not enough. And Paul says, I think through the power of the Spirit of God says, belief in Jesus Christ, this is it, folks. And when we believe, as Paul says here, the Spirit of God is naturally a part of our lives. And I, and I love one of the other things it says, um, it says in here. He says, note that he says, uh, so much concerning the experience. Uh, let me see if I can go back to that really quickly. Um, did you experience so much for nothing? There is a fullness of life in the Spirit of God that is so readily available for us to live there is so much more to this life than just sitting on a chair. There's so much more to this life than just watching online that God wants us to experience through the Spirit of God that leads us to live the life of Jesus Christ by empowering us to do the things that we can't do on our own. And Paul is saying, did you experience so much for nothing? The experience of the Spirit of God within us is what we should be desperate for because that is how we live the life of Christ. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. I'm going to jump forward a little bit on my notes. Um, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Belief in Jesus Christ, entrance of the Holy Spirit into your life. These things go hand in hand, folks. This experience that we can have with the Spirit of God is something that should be a natural part of our lives. You want to live the life that Jesus lived and you want to live that confidently? Allow the Spirit of God to empower you. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet here as we close out. This is a, a partnership that we enter into with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is, uh, I've often heard when I was growing up, is uh, gentlemanly, right? Will not force himself upon you. But what I see, what I see here in the experience of the Galatian church, what I, what I have experienced in my own life, what I've experienced, I know that, or what has been experienced, I know by many of you, is that that belief in Jesus Christ at the very core, right, that belief that he is who he says he is, that he died for our sins to set us free from sin, that when we believe that the Spirit of God begins to do something miraculous, dramatic, tangible in our lives because we now become convicted of sin in our lives, right? That's that Spirit of God working within us. There's a conviction of righteousness in our lives. There's a sense within us that God has right and wrong before us and that we have the ability to choose right from wrong. Now, the disciples on that day did experience something uh, that was very dramatic in the speaking of tongues. And I don't have a long time to go into this today, but we do believe that the Spirit of God can speak through us through the empowerment of tongues. If you read through all of the New Testament, certainly uh, after the book of Acts and through the letters that Paul writes, tongues is a natural part of the experience of the Spirit of God. It's absolutely the doorway, right, to, to that openness that we have when we trust God as he, through, the, through Christ, pours out his spirit within us. 
that he's going to take care of us. And I don't know about you, I need the comforter within me. Right, as we sang a little bit ago, he's within us, right? The spirit of God within me to guide me and to direct me. And so today, I believe that that is the best way for us to respond is just to say, God, I am open to your spirit to move within my life. And I'm open because I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for my sins. That's all that Paul is saying here. It's belief in Jesus Christ. That is what opens up that door for the Spirit of God to be active and to empower us to live the life that Christ has called us to live. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads for just a moment. You're here this morning and maybe you're gathered online as well and you've got friends with you and you've got a watch party going on, whatever it is. In this moment, you would say, I need the empowerment of the Spirit because I've tried on my own to do this and this salvation thing is not working out very well for me. (laughs) I need the Spirit of God to be within me. And I recognize that when the Spirit comes within me because of belief in Jesus Christ, that really I relinquish ownership to the Spirit of God in my life. For the Spirit to convict me of sin, to convict me of righteousness, and to help me determine right from wrong. That's what the Spirit does within us. If you'd say, Pastor, I'm ready for that. I'm ready for the Spirit of God within me out of belief in Jesus Christ. I'm just going to very simply ask you to just lift your hand and say, I just know I need the Spirit of God within my life in a new way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands up. And I believe that's appropriate, right? I think all of us, in one way or another, we say, I need Jesus and I need his spirit within me more than ever before. And so, God, we as a people commit ourselves to you. Lord, we recognize that we are imperfect and broken, and yet, God, you have chosen uh, through belief to pour out your spirit upon us. And God, Paul, as he's dealing with this in the Galatian church, he gets down to that very center part of it, God, that, Lord, we receive the Spirit of God, not because of any action we have done, but, Lord, through belief in Jesus Christ and faith in him and the work that he's done on the cross. And so, Lord, empower us. Oh, God, I pray that your Spirit would come down upon us in a new and a powerful way, that, God, our lives would be transformed just like the early church, just like that moment in the upper room, Lord, that we would be transformed by the Spirit of God Almighty within us. Lord, we're open to you. Let's all lift, just lift our hands again to the Spirit, of, to, to God. Lord, we, we invite your Spirit to be within us, active around us, active through us, Lord, that, God, you would move powerfully among us, God. And that, Lord, as we leave from this place, Lord, that this, this moment would be more than just a moment here, but, Lord, your Spirit would so empower us that as we walk out of this place, that, God, our lives are changed and are different. That, God, we would not walk away from here the same. But, God, as we begin to share, just like the early church did, that, God, there would be boldness and life within us anew because the Spirit is empowering us. So, God, we commit our ways to you. Lord, I ask that this week that your Spirit would be so active within us that, God, we would be convicted of sin. God, those, those gray areas or areas, we've called them gray, and yet, God, to you, I believe that you've got an answer for us. Uh, Lord, in those gray areas of our life, God, bring conviction, whether towards uh, away from sin or towards righteousness. And God, in the world around us, we recognize that we desperately need the Spirit of God within us when it comes to justice. That God, you would help us as a church and help us as individuals navigate this in such a way as to bring glory to you. 
to proclaim the cross of Christ over all the difficulties and the struggles that our, that our culture and society are walking through right now. And God, let us, as followers of Christ, um, be, be the people that bring justice to our world, Lord. We give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here again today. And uh, next week, excited to jump on, uh, jump on past this and uh, jump in a little bit further into the book of Galatians. So God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. We will see you next week. And don't forget, you represent Jesus when we walk out of these doors. So represent him well. God bless you.